I am human. We make mistakes, but I'm not going to continue to hold this over me. I have a choice to either let it go or continue to hold on to it. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth to all my OG listeners and purpose chasers. Thank you so much for coming back week after week. Your ratings, your reviews, the way that you share in social media are such a blessing. And you are why this podcast continues to grow exponentially. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you so much. If you're brand new here, welcome to the family. Here's what you just stepped into. We are a community that believes that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition, which says it's about the condition of well-being. So each and every week, I teach from the six pillars of wealth, the interviews, the guests that I invite. They're all about the six pillars of wealth, which are the truth behind what it means to build sustainable wealth, not just financial wealth, but in every area of our lives. I want you to get caught up. So go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and grab the free audio training, which breaks it all down. You'll see a link to it in the show notes. And I also want you to know that this episode is brought to you by my brand new book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, How to Stop Chasing Money and Finally Live Your Life's Purpose. I am so excited about all of the lessons that are in this book that are going to help you build wealth from the inside out. You can find out more at redefinewealthforyourself.com. So as you know, we are in the Let It Go series. And one thing I have learned about letting go stories that no longer serve me is that there is such beauty on the other side. There is such freedom, such opportunity, such a a way to impact so many other people. We don't even realize that holding on to shame, guilt, embarrassment, past hurts, past wounds are really preventing us from being able to live our life's purpose and serve others. And so I was so excited to invite this woman on. She is powerful in her own right. She's been my student and command the stage. And that is how I had an opportunity to hear this full story, but then watch as she continued to get free and what it's done for others. So let me introduce you to LaToya Matthews. LaToya is an inner healing coach, author, and transformational speaker who specializes in teaching brave women how to heal past wounds and embrace a life of freedom. After years of dealing with the shame and guilt of life after trauma, LaToya was given a crown of beauty instead of ashes. So whether she's speaking on stages or podcasts, she transcends a message of love and empowerment. She speaks with grace and she calls her community GEMS, an acronym that means God's Extraordinary Masterpieces. Without further ado, here's my girl, LaToya Matthews. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, LaToya. Hey, Patrice. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hear it's been a long time coming. Yes. Just look, full circle moment. Two years ago in June, we were at Confidence Activated. And I remember afterwards, we talked in the hallway. We were about to go have our Purpose Chasers dinner, you know, mm -hmm. right after 
Confidence Activated. And I remember telling you what I had on my heart and telling you how the things that I wanted to do around my story. And you were like, girl, you don't need prayer. You got this. As soon as you get it together, let me know. And I'm going to have you on the podcast. And that was two years ago. That's insane. Crazy. Like that is insane. Okay. So the plot thickens though, because I said that, right. Walked off. Didn't, I'm sure we went and had our little hors d'oeuvres with the other purpose chasers. I got off the stage and there were purpose chasers at my girl, Rachel Luna's event, confidence activated. That event actually dropped me off in Atlanta. So that was the beginning of me living in Atlanta. Again, I came for that event and just never left. Thank you. <laughs> and You said that, but then months later, you ended up signing up for a power hour and you didn't even work with me. You worked with my husband, Gerald. Yes, yes. I worked with Gerald and I remember talking to Gerald and he was like, look, if Patrice wants you on the podcast, she's going to have you. You don't have to ask, you know, she knows what she wants. (laughs) Really? I didn't even know that was a conversation. I had no idea. Okay, so you guys, the plot thickens. So then later on, LaToya ends up signing up for Command the Stage. Yes, because I asked Gerald. Stage is where I started to hear your story. And that's where I really want to start, right? Mm -hmm. I started to hear the depths of your story. And I think that you had told me a little bit at Confidence Activated in the hallway, but it would be almost a year later that I would actually get to work with you and really hear the story. So let's start with the story that you didn't feel free to tell before last year. Yes. Well, just to take it back a little bit, I asked your husband, Gerald, I was like, look, I see Patrice has this program coming called Command to Sage. I was like, you know, you know what I want to do with my business. Do you think it would be a great idea to sign up for it? And he was like, oh, yeah, you need to get in there. So I was like, "Okay, I'll sign up. And so I remember signing up for Command to Sage and you telling me after sharing my story that I needed to own it. And so that story was at the age of 18. I'm originally from Mississippi. Wait a minute. We wait. I didn't just say you need to own it. That's not it. Because, you know, we we get real and command the stage in any oh, of these do. programs. It, it wasn't like, hey, you need to own it. No. I was like, what are you not telling us? What are you not saying? Because the truth is, so many of us are called to do these great things. But the stories that act, that God actually gave us to equip us to be able to serve yes. and to go out and do these great things are the very things that we're often ashamed of or afraid of, or we believe that others will weaponize. And so we hide from it. Mm-hmm. So you told your story in our small group. And I was like, girl, where is, that's not the story. What is <laughs> happening here? Cause we can feel it. But I just, I just want to stop and say that because I don't want to give too much away, but I know that you've, supported so many women already just since your time in command the stage and after and what a loss it would be if you were not freed to tell that story not just for you but for the people that you were called to serve okay I just have to say that go ahead girl (laughs) yeah and so I just remembered saying that in command the stage and just like you said you were just like no ma'am there's more to this like I need you to own this. And I remember you looking me in my eyes through that Zoom call and was like, no, ma'am, 
I need you to own this. Like, tell me what you're not telling me. And so I thought I was released to share it, but still there were so many other layers to that story that I wasn't sharing. And so just being right there, being from Mississippi, I had found myself sitting in the health department at the age of 18, hearing three words that I never thought that I would hear. You are pregnant. And I was like, Anything after that, it just sounded like Charlie Brown, the teacher from Charlie Brown. Womp, womp, womp. That's all I heard after she said that. But I was going over some things in my mind. I was just like, I can't do this. Like the environment isn't right. I have a basketball scholarship. I have a tennis scholarship. I have so many things going on for me. And I was like, I just don't have time for this. And so I found myself scheduling the appointment and winded up at the abortion clinic and you know like the old people would say me being in Mississippi there was like you out of no streets being fast and I was out in the streets being fast (laughs) but I found myself (laughs) at the abortion clinic and waiting for my name to be called and I was there all alone having to fill out this paperwork at 18 which I had no idea what I was doing so I don't even know how I survived this but My name was called and I went in the back and I had the procedure done. But immediately after that, I went school shopping. It was like as if I wanted to take my mind off of what just had happened. Mm -hmm. But the minute I got home to my aunt's house, I was in the back room sitting on this queen bed and I just broke down crying because I was like, God, what did I just do? Like, I can't believe this. And from that moment on, For about 10, 12 years, every night I prayed for God to forgive me Uh because it was just like, I'm just such this horrible person. Like I need to be forgiven like every day. But it wasn't until my pastor had us to read this book by Lisa Bevere called The True Measure of a Woman. And in chapter two, I'm sitting on, we moved to, we moved to Georgia by this time, 10, 12 years later. And I'm sitting on my master bedroom bed, the queen bed, and I'm reading this chapter two called Cleaning Out the Closet. And there's two questions at the end of this chapter. And she says, what is it in your closet that you need to clean out? And I knew I had been running from this story all along. I tried to do things to bury it, but I knew that that same piece of abortion was what I needed to clean out of my closet. And the second question that she asked was, what is it that you have to offer to other people? And the rivers just, the dam just broke. Tears Uh just flooded my face because in that moment, I was like, I don't have anything to offer to anybody. Like, what could I possibly have being the person that I am? And I remember going to meet with my pastor and a couple of more women. I was like, I don't want to tell them what I've just written in this book. Like, this is embarrassing. I don't want to do this. This is this is just between me and you, Lord. Why well, I got to share with everybody else? But she asked me and I told her, I was like, well, every night I pray for forgiveness for what I've done. And it was like God knew exactly what I needed. And mm-hmm. the space was created for me to share. And she said, sweetie, she was like, God heard you the very first time that you prayed. She said, you have been forgiven. But the catch was I had had this pain in my stomach 
forever. It was like a reminder of what I had done, kind of wanted to remind me of the decision, like you're a bad person. This is what you get. But the minute she said you have been forgiven, the pain stopped in my stomach. And I I haven't had that pain since. And it was just like God freed me in that moment to say, you know what, you're my daughter. I love you. Like, I know this is what you need. So now is the time for you to receive it. Wow. Ooh. I think so many of us hold on to, and I'm sure it manifests in, in physical ways, but hold on to decisions, misjudgments, things we said, things we did, ways of being, whatever, like things from our past, we hold on to it well past Mm-hmm. what's actually necessary. It's like we want to punish ourselves over and over and over again. But how can we how can we say that we believe that God is a forgiving God, but then have these things that we don't believe are forgivable? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That in itself is is something to let go of. This notion that anything that we can do is so bad that it is beyond forgiveness, right? When God is like, girl, that was so 1998. I'm not even pressed about that. Like, <laughs> Right. And, it, and that's the thing. Like we carry around heavy stuff for so long that we don't know how it feels to be free from that. Oh, say that again. We've been carrying around heavy stuff for so long. We don't know how it feels to be free from the regret, from the insecurities, from the generational behaviors, because it's easy. And it's like, you have a child, I have a daughter. It's like carrying around that child on your hip that you don't know is causing you pain until that day comes. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I got to put you down. You're too heavy. Mm -hmm. And we've been carrying around so much. We don't know how it feels to be free from those things. Well, it's, it's not even that it's so easy it's just so normal. Like yes. we have normalized so much unhealthy behavior and so many unhealthy beliefs. And, and so I have a question about this because you were able to talk to, was it your pastor? Mm-hmm. So you were able to talk to your pastor and trust and trust this information within this group, I suppose. But do you feel like religion is what made you feel heavy in the first place? Like, how do you separate the two? Like, this is possibly what caused me to feel this way, but then this is also the remedy in the same, like, wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't really grow up in church. I really didn't get into church until I met my husband. And he was like, a proverb a day, make the devil go away, you know? And in Mississippi, it was just like, Literally, we like church hopped because we had one church that was first and fifth Sunday, another church that was second Sunday, another church that was third Sunday, another church that was fourth Sunday. Girl. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't really and it wasn't a requirement for us to go. So I didn't really grow up in church like that. So Mm. it wasn't religion for me. It was more so after I did this, it was like, well, how could you, you know, I guess it was just a moral for me. Wow. Yeah, I asked that because I remember when I had my son, who many of you know, uh, I had a son before my daughter. He passed away prematurely. 
And I remember when I was on bed rest with him, I had been really, really active in my church. I helped launch like the stewardship ministry. I was very visible. Even my little Toastmasters class, honey, was at my church in the in the church basement. <laughs> and I was just very, very active. And I think like a lot of us, if we keep it real, I knew what to do and how to perform on Sundays, Wednesdays, whatever nights any of the meetings were. But I hadn't quite developed an actual relationship for myself. Like at that time, I think I was still I was still living off of borrowed faith, meaning I know my mama and my grandmama believe these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm with it, but it was not for myself. And the very first thing that I did once I started to show, because I was really thin, like real thin. So it took a minute for me to even look like anything. The moment I started to show, I began to hide Mm. and I stopped going to things. And then I ended up on bed rest and, you know, I couldn't go to things anyway, but people would call, email, try to come by and I would just hide. I would be in my condo listening to people knock at the door while they're calling my cell phone and I'm silencing the cell phone because I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and I felt so guilty. And I remember for years, I I didn't even talk about having a son because that represented like that time, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. how could you? You were supposed to be the good girl. And mind you, I was full grown. I was not a teenager. I was a big old 25 year old honey with a full business property, all the things. I remember when I called my dad to tell him I was pregnant and I was boohoo crying. And he was like, is it Gerald's baby? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I mean, you're an adult. I'm just trying to understand what's wrong. (laughs) And What I didn't know of church was definitely fire and brimstone, like Mm -hmm. you going to hell. And I knew that I couldn't, my deeds couldn't outdo that. So I just carried a lot, even though I felt like, well, you're a good person, right? But I carried a lot, a lot of shame um, along with all of that. And I, to be honest, I don't think that releasing it for me necessarily came from Church, I think it came from therapy. Just having that safe space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having a safe space for someone to say like, hey, no matter what you've done, like you're not really an awful person. Like I think you've like created an entire scenario here that is not really the thing. And when I was finally able to let that go, man, what a weight lifted, but it took time. And I didn't let my, the, the death of my son go until after Reagan was born. Wow. Because I also felt responsible when Reagan was born, like in my whole difficult pregnancy with her, like I was just constantly being punished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did this show up for you in other parts of your life though? Like if you were kind of hiding that, how did it manifest in terms of your career or your relationships or just other things? It showed up in so many ways. And one of the ways was what you said at Confidence Activated. You said, if you're unfulfilled in life, it'll show up in your finances. And it showed up in my finances. And imagine me working in banking and having to tell my husband that I've ran up our credit card 
to $15,000 trying to find me, chasing the shiny things, trying to be someone else, not knowing that God wasn't going to give me anything that doesn't belong to me. Like, he's not going to give me somebody else's identity. Like, I have, he has to show me that on my own together, you know, with me and him. But it showed up in my spending. It showed up even with my relationship with my daughter. Like, I remember having my daughter after she was born. Mind you, she's like two to three weeks old. No one ever told me about the stress and postpartum depression and things like that and how... And how she can sense when I'm stressed. And so I would be holding her and she would cry. And when my mom got her, she would stop crying. And I remember calling my husband one day and he was all the way in Mississippi, child. And he was just like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, she doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. And that was the place that I was in thinking that she didn't love me at two weeks old. She doesn't even know what love is, <laughs> but that's how it showed up in my life, thinking that because of a decision that I had made. And I even remember crying to a friend. I was like, how can I take care of one when I've given up one? <sighs> and so it mm. affected my relationship on how to really love her. My only daughter in now you know, she's attached to my hip. I can't get rid of her, which I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, but it's just, those are the ways that it showed up. And I even remember because I, I love to have a relationship with my daughter and have her around with the things that I do. And my husband was like, does she even know what you do? And I was like, I think so, because she's been around and heard my stories. And so she was, and I asked her and she was like, yeah, I know what that is. And she was like, I said, well, you could have had another sibling. And she was like, well, I'm glad you chose me. And like, you know, it's just did something to my heart. That gave me chills. Yes. And I was just like, you know, it's just I had to really get healing in order for me to love her. And even to the point where I withdrew myself from my husband at times Uh because I was like, I don't want to. How can I give my body to my husband? I don't even love my body. Mm. Wow. Where did that part come from, though? Not loving your body. How did you how did you connect that to what it was just like me being such thinking in my mind that broken place that I wasn't a good person. I was like, Mm. you know, nothing about me was good. But through through all of that, he loved me through all of that. And I just saw myself as that. And I was just like, I can't give myself to him because I'm not this great person that he thinks that I am. Yeah. Cause when we know the truth, right? Like when we know the dirt, (laughs) right. We know what's in the closet. And so even if we're not articulating it, even if we're not out telling the story, sharing all of these pieces, there's still that part of you that goes, if, if they knew, if they found out, if they held it, like they could hold this against me. And we have all these other things that we've attached to the story. Yes. That other people are not even thinking about, but we, Ava DuVernay's, that we are, have created an entire story and we react from that story. Yes. I even remember going to networking events, just like you just said. I'm like, nobody even knows me, but I will be standoffish because I'm like, what if they knew? If they only knew about what I've done, you know, what would they think? And just like you says, I done made up a whole HBO movie. Like we did five seasons in my head already. 
<laughs> and it's like, girl, nobody even knows you. But when you're in that place of brokenness, that's the way you think. That's the way you process yes. every interaction, every introduction, every circumstance is processed mm-hmm. through that lens, right? Yes. Something you said too about once you had your daughter and that I went through the same thing. I think I told you when I would tell Gerald, she doesn't like me. Megan doesn't like me. She doesn't love me. He's like, she's 27 days old. Like she really doesn't. And I, I stuck with that. I mean, Mm -hmm. for some time, like I said, it took me well into, you know, after Reagan was born to even really process fully what happened with my son, because I just kind of got pregnant again about six months later. So I hadn't even really grieved all the way and really processed everything. And then I was just pregnant again. And then I took the fall down the stairs, ended up in the hospital. And it was just one kind of traumatic thing after another. And I didn't know anything about the postpartum Mm -hmm. stuff. I had no clue. Like I would see pregnant people, right? And then they would have their baby and look happy. And until my son's passing, I didn't even know how how common stuff like miscarriages were or, you know, stillbirths or pre- I didn't know about any of that stuff. I just wasn't yeah. aware. Right. Because a lot of people hide it right. because a lot of times in those scenarios, too, you know, women will see themselves as like the bad person. Like, why wasn't I good enough to get this baby full term and healthy and all those things? So people don't talk about it. Well, I remember the days when. Reagan would cry and cry and cry. And then I would look at her and I would start to cry and cry and cry. We would be two people crying, looking at each other, right? And I was miserable, but I didn't know how to articulate it. Mm -mm. And the business was starting to crumble and tenants weren't paying rent. And there were like all these things to juggle. And I felt guilty because I didn't feel like I liked her. Like, I didn't feel like I liked her and I didn't feel like she liked me, but I felt guilty because I've already lost a child. I I feel very grateful that I got to have a child, but now here I am. I can't articulate what this disconnect is between us, not realizing that I had been carrying all these things, like all of these other stories that were just creating this division, I guess you would call it. So. When it comes to healing all of this, because I can imagine someone's listening and they know what you mean when you say it would show up at a networking event, like it could show up at work, not going for what you know you deserve, not raising your hand for the promotion or the raise, you know, maybe playing small, maybe just like letting things go, not speaking up, all the things, right? How did you begin to break out of that? I really had to, this is where the church part comes in. This is where my pastor comes in. I really had to pray and I asked God to give me eyes to see myself just as he saw me. And I had to give myself permission to receive that love from him and to know exactly what a healthy relationship looks like, a father-daughter relationship looks like. And that's when I started to get the healing that I needed and the freedom and I had to tell myself, like, you know, freedom is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you 
the old you is going to cost you these behaviors that you've done. If you want freedom, then it's going to cost you some things that you've been comfortable with. Oh, freedom is going to cost you something. Oh, I like that. Okay, keep going. (laughs) And so I had to really dig in his word and accept those things and not reject them, but know that my relationship based with God, I had based it on the relationship with my dad, which he wasn't really in my life at that moment. So I was just like feeling rejected. So I was like, well, if he rejects me, then God must reject me too. So I'm not going to give forth, go forth with this. But I had to remember that, like the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie. And so if he said this about me, then I had to receive that. And I had a choice to make. Would I receive it or would I continue to reject it? And I made the choice to receive it, to receive what his word says, that I am forgiven, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that I am the daughter of the king. Like I had to really tell myself that each and every day, because there would be times where I would look in the mirror and I didn't like the person that I saw. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this place of wilderness, this wilderness place that I was in, I was like, God is punishing me. But he was teaching me a lesson that, hey, I am who you need. Like, stop depending on other people because I had this codependency thing where I would depend on people. And he was just like, no, I need you. You need me. And take my word, choose to take my word. And I chose to take his word and dwell on those things each and every day until I got confident to say, you know what? I am human. We make mistakes, but I'm not going to continue to hold this over me. I have a choice to either let it go or continue to hold on to it. And it's like that thing where if you tell your child, don't touch the hot stove, but they touch it anyway, that's on them. So I had a choice to either continue to hold on to that hostile or to let it go. And I chose to let it go and accept those things. You said so much, including that connection to our relationship with our, you know, physical or biological father and how that equates to our experience with God. Like what you described, I totally see that because even going back to what I said about how I hid from my church family. (laughs) I mean, and I hid like I was gone, right? I grew up addicted to achievement because I always felt like the only way for my dad to see me was to perform, was to get straight A's, was to be class president, was to be insert whatever, right? Basketball captain, volleyball captain, whatever I could do that would show that I was excelling, but that that was all deeds. And it was never about just loving me, imperfections, flaws and all. It was never about just not to me. Right. I don't know what he thought, but from my perspective, I didn't have a relationship with him that was rooted in me just being related to him via DNA. Like I had to perform and prove and, you know, put on. Yes. In order to have love. So then you fast forward to I'm pregnant out of wedlock. And all of a sudden, all the things that I have been doing in church, which were an extension of my addiction to achievement, like when I was in school, when I got out of school and I didn't need to do that. And I had this business and it was growing and, 
you know, I was making money and doing all the things. And in that church, it was like, I want to be the uh, captain of the usher board. No, I'm kidding. I was not on the usher board. (laughs) Imagine 25 on the usher board, girl. Nobody does that. (laughs) Nobody. Um, (laughs) But I was like doing whatever the deeds were. I did help start a stewardship uh, ministry, which was really successful at that church. And I, I just did all the things. So when I didn't have that, I felt like I wasn't good enough for God. Yeah. Like when I didn't have, when I couldn't be like, God, I did this. You see me out here. You see me serving, you know, you see me showing up. You see me coming on time every week, like helping in whatever ways that I could. When I didn't have that, I was like, well, when I hid and I, and I couldn't do those things, I was like, God don't want me. And little did I know, though, and so grateful for the chain of events, because while they were very traumatic, they also left me with no choice but to get deeper in my faith. Yes. And that's what I like to on my healing journey. This is what I've come to realize that the traumatic experiences that we've had is an invitation for us to grow intimate with God And in that intimacy, we get to shed those things that aren't true to us and redefine those things that are true and rebirth this version that we didn't know existed. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Because when you when you really, you know, look back over your life, as my granny used to say, when I look back over my life, you remember that that old song? (laughs) And I think things over. Don't be mad. I know you didn't come to Spotify to get music. It's a podcast. I understand. I felt it in my spirit, though. Yes. Um, I've been telling them, Latoya, I'm 40 now, so I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. Do whatever you feel like. I'm just so if I bust out in a little tune, it is what it is. And okay? that's what freedom is. That's what free. Let's go. That's what freedom is. That's okay. what freedom is. So when I look back over my life and I think about these things, you know, in hindsight, I realize to what you're saying, how many things, as I say on the podcast, they didn't happen to me. They happened for me. Mm -hmm. And even with the loss of my son, I can see how me not having my own faith needed to be exposed. Like me not having a genuine relationship with God for myself needed to be exposed because I had I not started to dig deeper and explore that when I lost everything just a year and a half later, it would have took me out. Yeah. It would have taken me out because my faith was very works driven and superficial. It was mm-hmm. not rooted in relationship. It was rooted in the pseudo not so right relationship that I had with my physical father, but it wasn't rooted in true, genuine, authentic, like never ending, nothing you can do. Right. Can you know what I'm saying? Like unconditional love. Like I, I eventually learned I actually had with God, even though I had grown up in church, I just didn't know it for myself. I didn't, I didn't see that for myself. And so as much as it's hard to say that I'm grateful for that time, I I am grateful because it was the genesis for me being able to really go deeper in my faith and become the woman that I am today. 
when when you look back at that time, how would you characterize that? Like, would you say that you were grateful for that experience or how, how do you position it? Because I'm thinking of how this could help someone who's in a tough spot right now. How do you reflect on it and choose to characterize it so you can move forward? I did. I looked at it as a lesson for me. It was, I was very grateful for that. And even I wasn't grateful when I was in it. Oh my God, it was hard while being in it. But now when I look back over it, I'm, it's like the story of Joseph when his brothers you know, gave him up. It was just like everything happened for a reason to get me to the point of where I am right now. And sometimes we don't like that, but it's a part of the process to where God wants us to be and where he intends for us to be. And when I look back over and I'm like, everything happens for a reason. It was no it was no God already knew I was going to have that abortion because the Bible says that he knows every written day of it. And it was like now when I look at it, I'm like, I had to get here because I need to be able to have compassion for those same people and show God's love as he wants me to. And that was one thing God was just like, if you don't show them God's love, then who will? When I look at those moments, I'm like, Everything happened for me to get to this moment to be able to help someone else because the very things that we go through, wisdom for us to help others. Speaking of helping someone else, one of the things that I was so (laughs) proud of you for in Command the Stage is that you were one of the people who were like, yeah, I'm not going to wait till I graduate from the command of the stage. I'm going to just start using bits and pieces of what we're learning as we go. And you start doing podcast interviews. And people start reaching out to work with you. And you were like, Patrice, uh, I don't have a program though. <laughs> now they want, now they, now they really want to work with me. What am I, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? And, so, and she's like, go girl. Go do, do help them. Like Great. take them through the steps that you've taken to get to this point. And so now you've been helping women. What's your, what's your program called and who's it for? Now it is called The Free Woman. When I first started it, it was Beauty for Ashes. Um, you know how you have those shower downloads and it was like, I got to hop out the shower because this is what God wants. And he was just like, that was a trial run. This is what the name is going to be. <laughs> so The Free Woman um, program is for brave women who are looking to reclaim their joy, really step into who God has called them to be and embrace the freedom that they've been given. It's something that they deserve and they deserve to live this out to the fullest. And so that's what the free woman is. So how has it been, right? When you look back a couple years ago, when you were kind of whispering to me in the hallway what the story was, but you weren't really giving the whole story. And then, you know, last year, really getting into sharing the story openly and seeing how so many people identify with it. When you think about, the women you've served, which are where all over the world, right? You had clients from where? Uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, and New Zealand. And all over the U.S. And all over the U.S. Okay, when you think about that, how does it it make you feel to know that that experience was never just about you or for you? It was to serve other people. Like, what has it been like to use your testimony to actually help others? I am always in awe because I remember writing down in that book, I don't have anything to offer. And now to see 
God say, see, this is what you have. And he told me to just tell the story and he'll do the rest. And I had no idea that was in the rest when he said that. But just to hear women say, thank you, Latoya, like, oh, my God, nobody could have known that. But God and the way he gives me things to just speak into their lives. And he and they're just like, thank you. I'm so grateful for you. And in the short amount of time that we work together, the women are like, I wasn't the same woman I was before we started. And to hear them say that and to go on and start blogs and to go into full-time entrepreneurship, like to hear those things is like, oh my God, I did that. God, you did that through me. Like I never thought that I would be able to or capable of doing something like that. But now it's just like, okay, let's go. It's so awesome. It's beautiful. It's amazing to know that in spite of our flaws, in spite of our failures, in spite of our misjudgments, in spite of it all, that we can still be used to be a blessing to others. And why I wanted you to come here and share is because there's so many women in Purpose to Platform and and so many women now who have gone through Command the Stage and I know for some of them, they're still holding on to this idea that if they tell the truth, if they tell the real story, that it'll do irreparable damage, that it will be, oh my gosh, people are going to judge me. I won't, like, this will ruin my credibility. They can hear you tell your story. They can hear me tell my story and then they'll still go, but that's different for me. I just wanted them to hear you though, right? Like to hear what's possible. And I got a chance to talk to one of your last groups and it was an honor for me to see the fruits of your obedience because I recognize that it was an extension of my obedience. And very rarely will I get to see, you know, the true impact, like in seeing the actual people, you know, everybody DMs me, right? Everybody who's been in the program still DM me or email me or tell me what's about, like about the things that are going on, but to actually get to see them and hear them and listen to how they had such regard for you and what you've been able to do in their lives. I just, I just want more people to know what's possible when we let go of whatever we think this is supposed to look like. And we just, what if we believe that our stories are our stories because that's what we're supposed to use to be a blessing on earth and stop making it about what we did wrong. Yes. Like imagine how free we could all truly become. So what do you say to someone who's in this place of, shame, guilt, embarrassment around whatever their story may be, what advice would you give them to finally let it go and get free? One thing that I really had to tell myself was, because I know that the subject of abortion is very taboo, nobody really talks about it, um, is I really had to tell myself, you can't tell me anything about myself that I haven't already thought about me. And that really freed me because being in the place that I was, I already thought these things. So you can't really tell me anything that I haven't already thought about myself. And that really freed me. And I want someone to know that if you are still holding on to that, it's just like those clothes in your closet. They can be a blessing to someone. But if you're still holding on to them, 
you're not being that blessing that you were called to be. Mm. If you're going to continue to hold on to that story, then you're holding someone up. You're holding their blessing up. You're holding their prayers up. Mm. That's good. One of the things I tell the ladies in Purpose to Platform is that we have to think of this like the people we're called to serve. They're up at night. They're tossing, turning. They're they're bleeding in the street. They're like, they need help. Whatever it is you've been, you've been called to do, they need that. And it's like, would you walk? Would you know that you were the answer to someone's problem? Like you were the solution to someone's problem and just walk by them and watch them bleed out in the street? Or would you try to save them? Right. And, you know, I had a friend tell this to the group one time and it really stuck with me because, you know, she said, and this is this goes back to that story. You holding on to the shame, holding on to everything and not sharing that story. She said, what if instead of at the end of your life, you hear that? Well done, my good and faithful servant. What about at the end of the day, at the end of the day? Do you not want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? And by telling that story and releasing that, you get that at the end of the day. Well done, my good and faithful servant, instead of waiting until the end of your life. What about the end of the day? Because mm, there's nothing that says that we have to wait until then to hear it. It just right. says that we like we want to hear it right. <laughs> like then. But why not hear it all along? Yeah, I like that. I've been saying too, like, I don't only want to leave a legacy. I want to live a legacy. Like I want to live in a way that really pours into others. I don't want people to be like, when I'm dead, like, look, come see about me. I I want you to come see about me then. (laughs) But I want you to, I want you to care now. I want you to feel like I show up every Thursday to pour into your life now and the dms that i get where people are like i don't usually dm people but i felt led to send you like i cherish those because they're the god wings that remind me to keep going and that even in my corny jokes as one man told me that he likes me despite my corny jokes like even in all the flaws i'm still available to be used and i think that's what it comes down to when we allow ourselves the freedom right? To let go of what we've attached to the stories in our lives, then God can use us. And that's all that matters. Yes. So before I let you go, I have to ask you some redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. You're not new to this. You know how it goes. So here's the first one. How do you define success? Success is waking up in the morning and doing What's being asked of me, my assignment. Oh, that's good. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Jesus, peace, and freedom. Come on, somebody. All right. What's one book that has helped you redefine how you see wealth? Based on your 12th century definition, I would have to say the big leap. It really shifted my mindset to really work in doing what I'm doing now. Amen. Awesome. And fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Latoya, and the truth about wealth is, it's available to you if you choose it. All right. Come on, somebody. Latoya, you did an awesome job. Thank you for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Thank you. Two years, full circle. Full circle. And I thought you had a shout out to give to someone. I do. Today is my daughter's birthday. Rihanna, I'm so proud of you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Now, she's my hype woman. So I just want to give a big 14th birthday shout out to her. Thank you. Yes, I love it. See, girl, I thought about you, though. See how your mama forgot? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to let her listen to that. Yes. <laughs> My bad. Oh my gosh. Didn't I tell you that would be so good? I can't even express enough how proud I am of LaToya from the first time I met her in 2019 at the event until watching her just serve women so powerfully today. This is not the same woman I met in 2019. And just to see how her freedom is connected to the freedom of so many other women is just, it's amazing. And I just want you to know, too, that LaToya does have a program called The Free Woman. Um, Definitely head to her website. The link is in the show notes. Show her some love. Follow her on social media. But if you are struggling with letting go of shame, guilt, embarrassment, uh, any of the old wounds, those types of things, I spoke to her program once and to see the work that she was doing. Again, I'm just incredibly proud. If you're a woman looking to give free, you should be following LaToya. Uh, so that's it for me. We will be discussing in the Redefining Wealth Facebook group. We will be going deeper into this. I'm actually thinking LaToya and I are going to go live. I'm just going to put it out there. So make sure you're in the Redefining Wealth Facebook group so that you can chat with us about this topic. Um, And let's go a little deeper. That's the free Redefining Wealth Facebook group. You can also hit me up in social media, Seek Wisdom PCW. And please, 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 these conversations are so important. They impact your wealth building more than you know. Please rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find us. And I truly, truly appreciate it. That's it for me, guys. We have one more episode in this Let It Go series. So I do hope that you will come back and join us. Until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.